Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. Thank you, Jesus. If you have your Bibles, you can go to John chapter 20. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. How many of you are enjoying the presence of the Lord today? About half of you. That's good. (laughs) That's good. We're doing better. We're doing better. (laughs) Oh, just step in today. Just step into his goodness. Just step into his goodness today. Let him love on you. Let him, let him love on you. Let your walls down. Just let your walls down today. You know, we all, we all come in with our, lo- our, our laws. Yeah, we do come in with our laws too. We come in with our walls and our laws. We come in with our, our stipulations on God. God, you have to meet with me if, you know, you've gotta, it's got to look like this and you've got to behave like this, God, and for me to be comfortable. <laughs> I pray today that the presence of the Lord just makes you completely uncomfortable. (laughs) That you'll get uncomfortable, unsettled in in the presence of the Lord. That he'll make you unsettled in his presence. Unsettled that there's got to be a hunger. There's got to be a desperation for more of him. I'm I'm not talking about a natural unsettledness. I'm talking about a spiritual unsettledness. There would be a desire and a hunger and a longing for more of his presence in your life. That you won't be satisfied. You won't be satisfied with where you're at in God today. Amen. In John chapter 20, we'll start in verse 1. It says, now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene. Oh yeah, good old Mary. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. And Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and they were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter. And they came to, the to- and came to the tomb first and he stooping down and looking in saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came and following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came into the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their homes. But Mary, (laughs) but Mary, here's Mary. Mary stood outside the tomb, by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the foot where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Thank you, Jesus, Lord, for your word this morning. I pray, O oh God, that this that we would hear you calling our names this morning. Lord, that we wouldn't be deaf. Lord, our ears wouldn't be stopped up this morning. But Father, help us. Lord, help us to hear your word. Help us to hear what the Spirit is saying. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, yeah, the, here's Mary standing at the tomb, weeping. Weeping at, the, at Jesus who is now gone. Let's talk about Mary for a second. Mary, many of you might be familiar with Mary. You might remember the story of Mary Magdalene. Here's, here's Mary. Mary Magdalene means that she was of Magdala, the city of Magdala. She was from, from a place in Christ's time. This city was a thriving city. It was known for the textile industry and dye, dye works industry. And that's where Mary was from. 
A lot of people say that Mary was, was a person of ill repute. A lot of people talk about how Mary was a prostitute. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible actually doesn't talk about her, uh, her ill reputation. It actually says quite the opposite, that Mary Magdalene actually had a good reputation. Not only did she have a good reputation, she was a woman of substance. She was a woman of means. She had enough finances that she was able to take care of herself. And she supported the ministry of Jesus. She was very supportive of all that Jesus did. Matter of fact, we know that everywhere Jesus went, there was Mary. Why? Why was that the case? That Mary was going at the tomb. You know, most people don't like visiting the graves. You know, we don't go out and make daily visit to the tomb. Why? Why was Mary going out to the tomb? tomb to find Jesus. The Jewish law forbade that, forbade that any Jew was to meddle with graves or dead bodies except for getting them buried, what was necessary to bury them. So why was, why was Mary going out to, to the tomb and doing all that she was doing? And beyond that, there could have been easily rumors and speculations that Mary and the disciples were the ones that moved Jesus' body. So all the more, why do we find Mary at the tomb where Jesus was buried? You know, there's, there's something else about Mary Magdalene that Luke talks about. Actually, Luke says that Mary, Mary was possessed by seven demons. She was possessed by seven demons. This Mary was tormented in her mind. She was controlled in her body. She was controlled physically. She was controlled mentally. Her soul was vexed by these seven demons, or seven mean, meaning even in some scholars say many demons. It could have been many more than just seven demons. It was just a number to signify she was really possessed. We know that just one demon can really vex a person, but she had many demons. She had seven demons. And Jesus, the Bible says in Luke, cast the demons out of her and healed her infirmities. These demons had vexed her so much that her physical body was rattled with infirmities. Her physical body was, was rattled and ravaged by disease because of the control of these demonic influences. This is Mary. This is the woman who came to the tomb. Why was Mary at the tomb? Because the man who had set her free was buried in that tomb. Because the man whom she loved was buried in the tomb. You know, there's a lot of uh, rumors and a lot of stories about uh, how Mary Magdalene was the secret lover of Jesus or the wife of Jesus. You know, honestly, I don't, I don't think there was anything secret about it with Mary. I think it wasn't sensual love. I think she was very open about her love for Jesus. I think she was very passionate about the one who had set her free. I think it was very clear to everybody that knew Mary that Mary was in love with Jesus. That's why Mary was at the tomb. Mary had come to wash his body with her tears and, and anoint him with the ointment, the oil of fragrance that she had prepared for him. Mary was there to enjoy lavishing her Savior with her love. And lo and behold, his body was gone. And Luke's gospel, it gives the account of the angels asking Mary, Mary, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you seeking the living? I say to you today the same question that was extended to Mary. Are you seeking the living among the dead? Are you busy spending your life and your, your energy and your efforts trying to find enjoyment and fulfillment in dead things? Are you spending your, your time and your effort, your money, your resources on finding life in things that are full of dead man's bones? God said in Jeremiah's account, it says in Jeremiah 2.13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. Have you forsaken today the fountain of living water for the, the cisterns, hewn cisterns, cisterns made by your own hands that can't contain living water? They're broken and will drain out the living water. Mary came as soon as she could. She came to the tomb as soon as she could. As soon as the Sabbath was over, she came running to the tomb to tend to the body of her Savior. She didn't take care of her house. She didn't go out and buy and sell. She came right to the tomb. She came straight to Jesus. 
Today I ask you, are you looking for the living among the dead? Are you looking for things that, find, that you can find fulfillment in and enjoyment in that have no life, that have no sustenance? Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? We all do it. Oh yeah, we all do it. We all try to find in our own strength and our own effort fulfillment in the things of this life that won't satisfy. It's gotten quiet in here this morning. We all do it. We all try to find. We all have issues. We all try to find satisfaction and things in this life. It might be good things. Maybe you're, maybe you're doing ministry things. Maybe you're doing good things, ministry things, but all for the effort of trying to find personal satisfaction. I'll tell you this, personal ministry won't fulfill you. That relationship won't fulfill you. The drugs, the alcohol, the, the, the promiscuity, all of the, none of those things will fulfill you. The only, the only person that can satisfy you, the only relationship that will fulfill you, the only ministry that will fulfill you is found in Jesus Christ. Good works won't fulfill you. You need the presence of God in your life. Mary was vexed by these demons. She was vexed by infirmities. And Jesus had set her free. Jesus had liberated her and she was looking. She was looking for resurrection life. She was looking for that resurrection, that taste of resurrection life again. But that resurrection life wasn't found in the tomb. It was found in the person of Jesus Christ. You can't find resurrection life in religious works and your religious toys. There, it's not religious works that are going to get you to heaven. It's not doing good deeds. It's not religion that's going to fulfill you. It's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ invading your soul. That's what's going to fulfill you. You. It's the life of God and the soul of man that's going to satisfy you. The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus is able to save you to the uttermost. Mary was vexed in her soul. She was dead spiritually. She was tormented in her body. And Jesus was able to redeem her to the uttermost completely, fully, save her and set her free. Jesus is able to save you, to heal you, to redeem you to the uttermost. Your emotions, if you're struggling in your emotions today, Jesus is able to redeem your emotions. You don't have to live emoting. <laughs> How many of you live emoting? Don't raise your hand. You live by emoting. You get through life by emoting. I don't understand. You get angry. You live in fear, you live in anxiety, you live by your emotions. Jesus can heal your emotions. There's nothing wrong with emotions. You were created with emotions. You were created in the image of God with emotions. But we don't live by our emotions. Our emotions respond and glorify God, not control us and keep us in discouragement and fear. You're living, if your emotions are controlling you and your decisions and your daily life is based on how you feel, you'll never get out of bed. <laughs> and if you do, you'll never pay, make it uh, past the front couch and your dishes will never get done. How many of you know what I'm talking about? If you, give, if you give your emotions enough room, they'll ruin your life. And that's, Mary was experiencing that. These de demons had control of her emotions and she needed to be liberated. She needed to be set free. If you're living today with torment in your mind, not only is Jesus able to heal your emotions, he's able to heal your mind. Maybe there's torment in your mind. Maybe you're not able to sleep at night because of dreams or nightmares, night terrors. Jesus can heal heal your mind. He can restore your mind. He can set your mind at peace. Isaiah says that Jesus will keep a perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Him. Just fix your eyes on Jesus. Just set your affections on Him. Stop looking at the things of this life. Stop trying to find fulfillment in this life and set your attention, focus your attention on Christ. He's able to heal you to the uttermost. He's able to touch your physical body. Maybe your body is suffering with disease this morning. Maybe your physical body is, is dealing with, with the, the ravaging effects of infirmities. Jesus can heal your body. 
Amen. We believe oftentimes that Jesus can save our souls, but we don't think that he has enough power to save our bodies too. I tell you that the same redemption power of Christ that flowed on the cross is the same promise, the same covenant that heals your body. It's the same covenant that heals your mind. It's the same covenant that heals your emotions. You don't have to live in torment, my friend. You don't have to live in depression. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in discouragement. You don't have to live with the taunts and the torments of the enemy. Jesus can set you free. Amen. Maybe today you're here and you have an outward image of control. On the outside, you've got it all together. On the outside, yeah, Mary's, Mary's body was ravaged with sickness and she had emotional trouble, but she, she had enough She had enough wherewithal to make, make a living. She had, she had some sort of control, enough, enough that she was able to earn a living at least. Maybe she worked in the textile industry. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you have some sort of outward control and you, you look good on the outside, but like Mary on the inside, you're all bound up. Maybe, maybe like Mary, you're on the inside, there's vexed, your soul is vexed, your spirit man is vexed, you're tormented, you're bound to sickness, sin, or disease on the inside. Nobody knows those dark recessed crevices of your life. But I tell you today, friend, Jesus knows. Jesus sees every area of your life. He knows the darkness lurking on the inside of your soul. And He can set you free today. If you'll just yield, He can save you to the uttermost. Mary had to come to Jesus and receive her healing. Today you can come to Him and He'll set you free. You don't have to stay in turmoil. You don't have to stay in, in bondage. Men could do nothing for Mary. Counselors are good and physicians are good. But, but that wasn't Mary's problem. Mary's problem was a demon problem. It was a bondage problem. It was a spiritual problem. And only Jesus could liberate her. Only Jesus could set her free. Your soul sickness today is sin. It's death. It's destruction. It comes from the curse of Adam's sin. And the only place of liberty is found in Jesus. America's problems, the racial tensions in America, the, the gun violence, the this violence, the that problem. Name the issue. It won't be solved by better politics and it won't be solved by better religion. The only thing that can solve America's sin problem is the blood of Jesus. The only thing that can melt racial divide is the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus. Oh God, help us. Help us to be. Help us to be the church, the kingdom on the kingdom of God here in this earth that carries, that carries an understanding, that carries the reality of the blood of Jesus, the liberating power of God. You know, a lot of people don't like to admit that they have sin or admit that they have issues. I've got it all together. I don't need help. It, you know, we see it. As pastors, we see it all the time. Even, even as simple as someone that, that's going through a difficult time and you offer them food. We'll, we'll bring you food. We'll love on you. We'll, we'll provide for you during this time. And it's amazing how many people even reject food because they want to have it all together. We've got it, we're good. We've got this problem. We can manage our problem well. We're still able to take care. And people don't want to admit that they have problems and need help. There's coming a day, friend, if you haven't reached it already, there's coming a day where you will melt under the weight of the circumstance that you're facing and you'll need to look to the body of Christ. Need to look to your brothers and sisters and say, help, let's work together. I need your support. I need your love. Pride will isolate you and put you on an island by yourself. But the love of God, friend, the love of God will bring you in into a place where you can begin to fellowship and openly share, openly confess your faults to one another and say, Jesus, I need your help. Jesus, I need... When's the last time, friend, that you've went to someone 
and said, this is what I need prayer for. This is what I need encouragement in. This is what I'm struggling with. And you begin to, as James said, confess your faults one to another that you may be whole. Jesus wants to make you whole. But, and he's provided a way for it. But we, we reject his plan and accept our plan of pride and arrogance. And we continue living on in bondage. Expose the sucker to the light. And I'm telling you that, that, that weed, that sin, the root of discouragement and fear and anxiety or bondage will begin to shrivel up in the light of His presence. But keep it in the dark, moldy crevice of your heart and it will spread. The root of bitterness will spread. The sin and the discouragement will spread. I'm, get it in the presence of the Lord. Get it before your brothers and sisters and watch the redeeming power of God set you free. Yeah, yeah, that's scripture. <laughs> that's the Bible way of dealing with things. Mary is a picture of divine grace. Mary's a picture of divine grace. There's nothing more that the enemy would like to do than to keep us out of the presence of God. The evil spirits that were within her would want to keep her out of the presence of God. Oh, but the love of God, the unending, the unquenchable love of God, the cords of his love wrapped around Mary and began to draw her into the person of Jesus Christ. Today, that same love for you, the same love before you were ever created, the same love that's been chasing you since the before the beginning of time. That same love of the Father is here in this place today and He's extending your cords, His, His cords of His love around you. It's not by accident that you're here today. It's the love of God drawing you in to the person of Jesus Christ. The love of God drew Mary in. The love of God brought her in as the old hymn says, Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. We all feel that if we are converted the power which turned us is from above. Tis not that I did choose thee, for Lord, that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee, but thou hast chosen me. Thou from the sin that stained me, wash me and set me free, and to this end ordain me that I should live to thee. You have the presence of God drawing you and I in. The, the grace of God, the love of God bringing us in. Charles Spurgeon said this, if we have repented, our repentance was not a plant of indigenous, was not a plant indigenous to the barren soil of our corrupt hearts. The seed of it was sown within by a gracious hand. If we have believed in Jesus, our faith was not fashioned on our own anvil, but bestowed on us from the armory of God. Oh yeah, God saw us in our misery. He saw us in our despair and said, I love you. I've chosen you. He's brought us in to his, into his fellowship. He's brought us in to his, to his kingdom. If our carnal nature was given the opportunity, our, our flesh would quench the spirit every time. Our carnal nature would snuff out every candle of the light of God in, in our soul. That, like Timothy, we must fan into flame the gift of God that's in us. We must fan into flame the gift of God that's been placed within us. Mary, we have a phrase, we have a saying. And this is what Mary did. Mary joined the compound. We have, a, we have a saying that you gotta, you got to check in to the compound. It's time to check in. Mary, Mary knew that she was bound in sin before and she didn't want to return to the demons of her past. She had to check in to the presence of God. That's the only, everywhere Jesus went, Mary was there. Every time Jesus was ministering, Mary was there. When Jesus needed to support, Mary was there. When Jesus' ministry needed advancing, Mary was there. When, when Jesus needed to rest and be taken care of, guess who was there? Mary Magdalene was there. She had checked into the compound everywhere Jesus went. She was there. Today, you and I need to check into the compound. Every time the church doors are open, we're in the presence of God. When there's a small group, we're there. When there's time to give, we're there. When it's time to worship, we're there. When it's time to pray, we're there. Check in to the compound. You want to know what you're, uh, what's going to set you free, what's going to liberate you? It's not a self-help book. It's not a 12-step program. Although those things are good, the ultimate liberation power of Jesus Christ is the only thing that will set you free. You've got to get into his presence. Live in the goodness of God and watch as your desires change. Watch as your desires change. When you live in his presence, you don't want the things of this life anymore. If you find yourself struggling 
with girly magazines or computer sites. <laughs> get, in, get in his presence. It's really hard to look at things you ought not be looking at when you're in the presence of the Lord, praying in tongues and worshiping. Anybody hear what I'm saying this morning? It's really, it's really hard to put the, uh, oh, I'm going to step on somebody's toes here. It's really hard to put the cigarette in your mouth when you're worshiping amazing grace. I, no, it's not going to work well. Get in his presence. <laughs> Live in his presence. Get in the compound. I'm not talking about PTL and what all those other Jim Baker places are, the compounds. I'm the, the, you know, Waco, Texas. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the house of the Lord. Get in his presence. Get in his presence. (laughs) Yeah. You know, there's, there's this teaching regarding grace these days. that You can live how you want. Because you you're living under grace. You, you don't have to worry about the law. You don't have to worry about your works or your deeds because you're under grace after all. <laughs> Martin Luther had a, had a term that he coined and used. It's called antinomianism. Some of you have heard me talk about this. Antinomianism, the word anti means against. Nomos means law or moral code. He's being against law or moral code. We, you know, there's a lot of TV preachers, a lot of ministries today that are preaching this message. And if you're not careful, they, they're slick. They're slick. They know how to package it and make it look good. Let me tell you what grace is. Grace is the work of God in us that transforms us. Grace is not an excuse to live and do as you please. Grace will transform your life. Not give you an excuse to do what you want. There's a popular TV preacher. There's a popular TV preacher. He's got 20,000 people in his church. He's self-proclaimed. Many of you may know him. I won't say his name, but you probably know him. He's self-proclaimed as the minister of grace. He says that in 1997, God told him, the moment you balance grace, you neutralize it. You cannot put grace and law together. He says he doesn't attempt to balance grace with the law. He says God told him that if he failed to preach radical grace, people's lives will never be radically blessed and radically transformed. So he started preaching a grace message not tempered by the law. And guess what? His church grew to 20,000. How do you grow your church? You preach what people want to hear. He says also he doesn't preach on hell because we are under grace which brings all people into the blessing of God and there's no need to talk about hell. His teaching then goes on, if you continue to study him, his teaching goes on to uh, sinless perfection. The message of sinless perfection is that once you're born again, you have no sin. Because now all of a sudden you're under grace And you don't sin when you're under grace. You're perfected by grace. And so you don't have to worry about sin anymore. Can I tell you, that is an error. It is a lie from the pit of hell. This teaching is a lie from the pit of hell. Thank God. Thank God. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead. I was blind, but but God's grace ransomed me. God's grace set me free. God's grace transformed me. It doesn't give me an excuse to live how I want. In Ephesians, Paul talked about this. He says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Four things that Paul says about the grace of God. One, we're saved by grace. Two, it's a gift of God. Three, salvation is not the result of works. Good works are the result of the effect of grace. You can tell me all day long you're born again. But the grace of God, the effect of that grace that saved you are to transform the works that are coming out of your life. There should at some point in your life be fruit of repentance. The grace of God will transform you, will change you. Mary was affected by the grace of God. Mary was transformed by the grace of God. The grace of God drew her in. The grace of God, the power of God liberated her and transformed her life. 
In John 20, verse 13, Mary says this, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. In other words, what have you done with Jesus? Uh, oh, I ask you today, friend, what have you done with Jesus? What have you done with the reality of Christ in your soul? She was weeping at the tomb. She, she found herself at the tomb of Jesus, weeping and crying over the one whom she loved. He was gone. His body was gone. The one who had given her life was gone. The one that, that she watched over, that minute she ministered to and ministered with, was now gone. What have you done with Jesus today? Has your life, has your life become an empty sepulcher of dead men's bones? Or is your life full of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? In John chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus told the Samaritan woman, Whoever drinks of the water that I give him, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Are you drinking from the resurrection, life-giving waters of Jesus Christ? In John chapter 1, verse 12, John says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. This is what Adam Clark says about that. He says, He who is made a child of God enjoys the greatest privilege with the divine being can confer on this side of eternity. Those who accept Jesus Christ as, his, as he has offered to them in the gospel have through his blood a right to this sonship. Oh yeah, you and I, by the blood of Jesus, have become sons and daughters of God. We have been brought in. We've received not the, the spirit of bondage, the spirit of slavery. Don't take up again, Paul said, the bondage, the spirit of bondage, the spirit of addiction, the, the spirit of strife, the spirit of immorality. Don't take up that spirit again. But put on the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Yeah, we've become sons and daughters. For by that sacrifice, this blessing was purchased. And the fullest promises of God confirm it to all who believe. And those who are engrafted in the heavenly family have the highest honor and dignity to which it is possible for a human soul to arrive. What an astonishing thought is this. The sinner who was was on heir to all God's curses, has through the sacrifice of Jesus a claim on the mercy of the Most High and a right to be saved. Even justice itself on the ground of its lofty and eternal nature gives salvation to the vilest who take refuge in this atonement. For justice has nothing to grant or heaven to give which the blood of the Son of God has not merited. <laughs> Oh yeah, our God is a just God. Our God is an absolute just God. He cannot turn His eye. He does not turn His head from sin. Oh no, the full wrath of the fury of God against sin was paid at the cross. Jesus Christ became our sacrifice, became our propitiation. He became our sacrifice. And the fury of God's wrath was taken out on His Son against sin. You and I, by that sacrifice, can come boldly to the throne of grace. You and I can come boldly into the presence of God and receive salvation. Oh yeah, everybody thinks they're going to heaven. Everybody thinks because I'm a good person, I'm going to heaven. Because I prayed a prayer one day, I'm, I'm going to heaven. No, my friend, that's not, that's not how it works. There's a lot of good people burning in hell right now. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people more moral, more, have more, uh, more morals than you in hell today. It's not about how good you are or how moral of a person you are. The only way to heaven, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Bible, yeah, the Bible depicts hell as a place of absolute torment. The fire and fury of God towards those who reject His Son is burning right now in the pits of hell. I would not say that, that, that hell is the absence of God. There's a teaching that hell is the absence of God. I wouldn't say hell is the absence of God. I would say that it is the absolute fury of the presence of God towards those who reject His Son. I don't think that you're escaping the presence. I don't think you can ever escape the presence of God. I think hell is the fullness of His fury towards those who reject Him. Think of it as this. 
You and I are like cobwebs hanging over the flames of hell. Every single one of us, we are like a spider on the cobweb hanging over the, the, the mouth of hell. And if it weren't by the mercy and the grace of God, at any given moment, the flames would consume us. Oh, but it's by the mercy of God and the grace of God that the wind hasn't come and blown us into the pit. That is the reality of hell, my friend. That is the reality. Each of us, by the mercy mercy of God are being sustained and kept from the pits of judgment. Oh, what marvelous grace. Oh, what wonderful grace that has sustained me, that has kept me, that's redeemed me. Oh, but God who is rich in mercy. God who is rich in mercy because of His great love for us, Ephesians says, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgresses. It is by grace you've been saved. It's by grace we've been saved. My friend, if the doctrine of hell, the reality of hell makes you uncomfortable, it should. Just as there is a heaven today, there is a reality of hell burning today. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified. Ha 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 ha. Have you been crucified today? <laughs> I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live But it's Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I've been crucified. Jesus told his disciples, if you want to be my disciples, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. The disciples understood at that moment. The disciples understood at that moment that when Jesus said, you've got to take up your cross and follow me, there's a burial service that's got to happen. Something in your life's got to die. What I have a question for you today. What in your life needs to be buried, needs to, needs to rest in peace today, buried under the blood of Jesus? What in your life needs to, needs to find its eternal resting place, no longer to show its ugly head again? Maybe it's that bad attitude. Maybe it's the judgmental spirit. Maybe it's the critical heart. Whatever it is. You know, most Christians, they, they, they have clean sins. We're sophisticated these days. So I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, well, I just don't like your church because it's not sophisticated. (laughs) Ah, that's funny. (laughs) You go down the road. I'm sure there's plenty of sophisticated churches. We, We dress up our sins. We put good clothes on them and put our makeup on them and make them look good. Jesus was very frank about it. He wasn't sophisticated about it. (laughs) He didn't have a good image about it. He said, oh yeah, if you want to be my disciple, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You got to take up your cross and follow me. He did and said things that challenged the natural mind. It wasn't sophisticated. It was challenging to the natural mind. It was meant to cause conflict with our natural mind. The word of God and supernatural ministry is meant to cause conflict with our natural mind. Oh yeah, something's got to die. Our problem is we keep going back to the grave and trying to dig it up. (laughs) I liked that bad attitude. I need that. That person just cut me off in traffic. I need that bad attitude. (laughs) As Christians, we do better raising dead things in our lives than we do raising the dead. Jesus said, these signs shall follow. You'll raise the dead, not your old man. Leave it dead. Let it, let it lie. Oh, yeah. Jesus. I'm going to get on the cross with Jesus. I'm going to get on the cross with Jesus. I am crucified with Christ. I'm on that cross with Christ. I can feel his blood running down my head. I can, I can feel the, the prints of the nails in his hands. I can, I can feel the scars. I can smell. I can smell the fragrance of the, of the flesh and the blood and the fire of the soldiers. I can begin to, I become aware of the sights and the sounds of the reality of Christ and his sacrifice when I get on the cross with Jesus. 
We take for granted the, the grace of God and the power of God because we're not on the cross. When you get suspended on the cross with Christ, oh yeah, His sacrifice was enough to redeem us. His sacrifice was enough to set us free. But His sacrifice was enough to compel each of us to get up on that cross and die daily to our flesh so that Christ might live in us. Salvation is free. It costs Jesus everything. But it will cost you your carnal nature. It will cost you your old self. Transformation, transformed by the grace of God. Oh yeah, Mary was affected. She was affected by the grace of God. Let me say this. You can't bear someone else's cross. If you're here today and you're worried about a family member or a friend, you're concerned about their salvation, you're concerned about their well-being, let me tell you this, your cross is enough of your own portion. You can't carry somebody else's cross for them. They have to have a revelation of the goodness of God for themselves. They have to have an encounter with the greatness of God. You just keep loving you keep sowing the seed. You keep loving on them. And eventually they'll have an encounter with the goodness of God that's affected you. Mary heard about the goodness of God. She got set free from her demonic strongholds. And then verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. Oh, what a moment. What a moment in time she thought that this man who was talking to her was the gardener. And in that moment when Jesus said her name, every memory she had, every emotion she had, every encounter that she had had with Jesus, the whole reason that she came to the tomb began to light up within her. Her soul became elated. She grabbed hold of Jesus, Mary. Isaiah 43, 1 says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by your name. You are mine. Oh yeah, today, Jesus is calling your name. Can you hear him? Jesus is calling you by name. He knows your name. The Bible says he's got it inscribed on the palm of his hand and your walls are ever before him. Yeah, he's calling your name. Will you yield to him? Will you embrace Jesus for who he is? Matthew Henry said this, A sight of angels and their their smiles will not suffice without a sight of Jesus. She could see the angels all day long. She could see the empty tomb all day long. She could hear the disciples going, going back and forth about what this means. and what the, But nothing would do until she saw Jesus for herself. And God smiles in him. None know but those who have tasted it. The sorrows of a deserted soul. Which has comfortable evidences of the love of God in Christ. And hopes of heaven. But has now lost them. And walks in darkness. Such a wounded spirit who can bear. Christ in manifesting himself to those that seek him. Often outdoes their expectations. (laughs) Has Jesus outdone your expectations today? Have you such a longing and a desire for the presence and the goodness of God? The resurrection life of God in your soul. That when he comes, he outdoes every expectation that you could have ever set. That's why I worship as I do. That's why I pray as I do. That's why I preach as I do. I have an expectation of the goodness of God. I have an have a inward hope of eternal glory. And it, there's an expectation that's on the inside of me that creates a passionate longing for His presence. And when He comes, I'm outdone. <laughs> I'm overdone. Just lay me on the floor and let me soak in His goodness. Let me soak in His marvelous love. I'm o- overdone, Jesus. <laughs> I'm outdone by Your goodness. In Matthew 24, verse 6, it says, This is the generation that will seek him who seek your face, even Jacob. This is the generation we're hungry for his presence. 
We're hungry for him. John Calvin said this, That voice of the shepherd therefore enters into Mary's heart, opens her eyes, arouses all her senses, and affects her in such a manner that she immediately surrenders herself to Christ. Oh, what an influence. (laughs) Oh, what an influence of the presence of God in our lives. That he arouses all of those dead emotions, the things that we thought were hopeless, the dreams, the plans, the vision, the promise of God that we thought was long gone. Oh no, they're not, they're not dead, my friend. They've just been percolating in the tomb so that when Jesus got out of the tomb, everybody could look and see, there's the glory of God. That's what Jesus promised. Your marriage isn't dead, friend. When you begin to put your hope in the presence of God, your marriage isn't dead. Your relationships aren't dead. Your finances aren't dead. Oh yeah, they might be percolating in the tomb. But when the presence of God comes in contact with those dead, seemingly dead things, new life begins to come for. He arouses. He arouses in you. He arouses in me the, the joys of his presence. He opens our eyes and we see, we see him for who he really is. Oh yeah, he wasn't just he wasn't just a politician. Oh yeah, he just he wasn't just building an earthly kingdom. He came to establish a heavenly kingdom. He came to win souls, men's men's souls. He he came to become the propitiation for men. He came to restore us to the presence of God. Adam Clark says, What transports of joy must have filled this woman's heart? Yeah, what trans... I I could only imagine. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. She thought Jesus was dead. She thought he was gone. And now somebody's moved his body. The man she gave her life for was gone. And she didn't know where he was. What transports of joy must have elated her soul when she saw Jesus in that moment? Mary. <laughs> what joy. Oh, what, what joy must have gripped her soul. What joy must have filled her heart. <laughs> Let it be so remarked that Mary Magdalene sought Jesus more fervently and continued more affectionately attached to him than any of the rest. Therefore, to her first, Jesus is pleased to show himself, and she made the first herald of the gospel of a risen Savior. Uh, She pursued him. She pursued his presence. She pressed into the presence of God. She enjoyed God. She She enjoyed his ministry. She enjoyed his presence. She enjoyed his life. She followed him. She gave all that she had. And as a result, Jesus took pleasure in showing himself first to a lady from Magdala who worked in a textile industry, who was possessed by seven demons, who the world would have considered an outcast. She was tormented. She, was, she had the demon. That's the one with the demons. The church world would have judged her and say, oh, she's the one that had the demons. Jesus found pleasure in showing himself to her first. I'll wrap up with this thought. Alexander McLaren says this. Things were not to be as they had been. Christ Mary had indeed assured her of his faithful remembrance and of her present place in his love. But when she clung to his feet, she was seeking to keep what she had learned to give up. How is it with you today? Are you longing to keep things how they were? Jesus, I was comfortable with you in this way. But this whole new resurrection thing is making me a little uncomfortable. <laughs> this resurrection life, this new life, this new, this new thing, this new life makes me a little uncomfortable, Jesus. Therefore, Jesus, who invited the touch, which was to establish faith and banished doubt, bids her unclasp her hands and gently instills the end of the blessed past by opening to her the superior joys of the begun future. (laughs) Jesus today is standing here in our midst. Oh yeah, he's standing today before you and I. He's standing, he's walking, he's walking the aisles today, looking at you and I. He's looking at you. He's peering into your heart, into your soul today. And He's calling you by name. He's calling you by name. He sees the bondage. He sees the hurt. He sees the rejection. He sees the things that have you bound. You can't hide 
from the presence of the Lord. He loves you. And he's looking at you and he's saying, as you grasp hold of him today, son or daughter, this is only the beginning. This is only the beginning. What you now see and hear, it's only the beginning. Let me bring you into the joys of this new future that begins today. Cry out to Jesus. Yield your heart to Him today. Yield your heart to Him today. Maybe you're here this morning and you're born again and you would say, I know Christ. I have a relationship with Him. I ask you the same question that Mary was asking. What have you done with Jesus? What have you done? What have you done with Jesus? Have you enjoyed His presence and His blessings and His goodness on your life and the mercies that He so graciously bestowed and yet have not brought others to the bountiful feast that He supplied for them? Are you enjoying and feasting on the goodness of God and, and at the tomb... You might be here today and even be one of those like Mary who would say, I'll go to the tomb and wash his body with my tears and pour my ointment of worship upon him. And to you, Jesus might show himself. But Mary had a responsibility. In that moment, she encountered, she she encountered Christ, the risen Christ, and she became the evangelist of the risen Jesus. She became the first to tell others, He's risen and I've seen Him. I've seen Him with my own eyes. What about you, friend? Have you seen Him with your eyes? Have you tasted of His goodness? Have you seen Him? Have you experienced Him in His love? <laughs> Have you, have you heard Him call your name? Have you heard Him in the midst of your darkness and depravity call you out of the tomb of death and despair? Are, are, you, hearing, are you hearing Him today call you into new life? And you have a responsibility to share it with others. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so awesome.